welcome to the Central Vineyard podcast. We're really pleased you've chosen to join us today. Our vision is to be a transformational church community, following Jesus, joining God in the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us in person if you're able to on a Sunday morning. If you would like more details, you can visit our website at centralvineyard.co.uk. It's good to be with you again this morning, and uh, one of the problems being here when you're, when you're speaking is, is worship, because the worship's so good, you get really stuck into it, and then you think, oh, <coughs> I've got to speak later. But I want to com- commend the, the musicians this morning, uh, they did a cracking job, and that last song we, we sang, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. That's my heart, that's my prayer, that's what we want to see this morning uh, as we explore God's Word together. As Pete said, um, we are in the middle of, no, we're not in the middle of Lent, we've started Lent at least, and this morning we're on week two of our Lent series, Um, and Martin summed it up well last week, Uh, and so I I asked him to send me me his note on, on Lent And it's the first slide. Lent is an invitation to us to make our minds and hearts ready for remembering Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Lent is a season that gives us an opportunity to step into and take a fresh look at our faith. And again, that's my, my purpose this morning, is to get us to have a fresh look at our faith. And the subject I've been given loosely, um, Deborah, I've, I've interpreted it fairly loosely, is identity. If we do not know who we are, then our faith is not going to work. Because unless we know who we are, we are in trouble. If we want our faith to have an impact, we need to understand who we are and why we're here. But before we go into that, because the passage I've been given is to look at the baptism of Jesus. And before we can do that, we do need to understand a little bit of of history. Uh, If you read your Bible, and in fact we were talking in our our, um, community circle, um, one of the things that's good to do with your Bible is write dates when it happened. Because the Bible does not give timescales of, like if you read the first four or five books of Acts, that's all all fairly quickly. Then there's a, a big time gap of about 15 years before Paul comes on the scene. And sometimes we read it as though it's a continuous story. And we go, oh, that's strange. And, and then we can't work it out. So if you get a chance, either you can get a chronological Bible, which is where it puts it in, in almost like alphabetical sequence. Um, but also just in your, in your, in, in your um, Bible, just make some notes as to when things happened. Because we're talking here, the gap between Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and the beginning of the New Testament. And you have to understand from an Israelite's point of view, there's been 400 years of prophetic gap. Nothing has been said or heard, or it's been a real downtime for Israel. It's it's almost a, a prophetic wilderness where Israel had fallen from its position of being God's chosen people. It hadn't, but it just hadn't been fulfilling it. Uh, it'd been overtaken by Rome. They've been subdued. They've been um, punished. They've been, you know, taxed and all sorts of things. Um, and they've really lost their lost their way a bit. So at this point in time, 
Israel is not in a good place. The exception was that there was a hope of those that knew the law that there was a coming Messiah. And one or two had kept hold of that hope and promise. And then we get this character, John the Baptist. And we're going to look at him in a minute. But he begins to proclaim that the Messiah you've been waiting for in this 400-year gap that you know that's been prophesied, that Isaiah's made a big deal of, that he's coming. This weird character, John the Baptist, jumps out of nowhere and starts preaching in the desert. There is the Messiah is coming. It's quite exciting. I, watched, I actually watched a, a bit of The Chosen um, last week. Val and I have been slowly working our way through The Chosen. And there was quite a good portrayal of John the Baptist. He looked really weird. He, he was scrawny and thin. He's got a long, straggly old beard, hair that you can only just about see him through. Uh, and it, I just thought it, it was a good pictorial image of what this guy must have been like. Weird, wonderful, on the banks of Jordan, preaching a gospel of repentance. And I often wonder why people responded. And part of it was because John was saying that the Messiah is coming. And I'm sure that a number of people who went out to John in the wilderness went because they were just unsure of what this Messiah was going to be like. And we better repent just in case. Or was it somebody said the other day, salvation is not fire insurance from hell. Um, but it's that sort of, I wonder if maybe I'm going to be exposed for, for what I've done or not done or should have done or could have done. And again, I was, I was trying to get into the, the, the thinking of, of the Israelites. What were they expecting from this Messiah? What were they looking to receive from this character? And I, I have a sneaky suspicion they were looking for Superman. Somebody who would turn up, who would really rout the, the Romans, who'd be a military leader, sort it all out, and come in as the conquering hero. And so I, I just get this thought that, that the Israelites were looking for a Superman. And yet we know from the story that that wasn't God's plan. Let's read together um, Matthew 3. And we'll have a quick look. It says, Jesus then came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Don't you think it's fantastic when, when God says, That's my boy? Because that's what he's saying. That's my boy. And I don't mean that in, a, in, in any way demeaning, but it, that's my boy. That's what God is so excited about, that Jesus is now just about to start out on his ministry. The Godhead had planned this plan of salvation way before. And I, I just get the, the view, maybe it's just my simple way of thinking, 
But every time, there seems to be several times during Jesus' life and ministry where God just says, yes. And he endorses, he affirms the plan that was unfolding. bit weird for John in the fact that the Messiah, who he was proclaiming as being the one, says, excuse me, can I be baptized? Um, John's first reaction is, whoa, 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 no, absolutely no chance. I'm stepping back from this because this isn't proper. And yet, in the story, Jesus says, no, 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 this is good to fulfill all righteousness. And I believe that that's Jesus looking to identify with us. A lot of commentators say that it was Jesus identifying with the people that we need, we need to repent. He, he didn't need to repent. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, we, we don't hear much about his early life, do we? We hear, well, there's a party goes on the night he's born. Angels come out, have a, have a hooli, and they come and sing, don't they? I, lo I, I love the part of the story in, in that where the angels turn up and the, and the shepherds are going, and, and the angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I would have been, be careful what I say here. I think bricking it is the phrase. If they turned up in the heavens, like, hello? But I believe that's God just affirming at that first day that we've set out on a mission and it's right and it's proper and it's important and we need to get hold of it. There are other occasions. We don't say get much of his early life. We're joining the story when Jesus is around 30. But there is an instant in the temple, isn't there, where, when he's 12? And he's in with, with, the, with the, the rabbis talking about theology and stuff. But then there's this, this gap until we get to the point where Jesus is starting his ministry. And one of the phrases that I think that has been a huge motivator to me over the years about Jesus and what he did was is Hebrews 12.2 where it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And for me, Jesus going through this life on earth is all part of that for the joy set before him. Because as I said before, I think I preached on, on Good Friday, for the joy set before you are, I am, the joy set before him. And that's an incredible statement. But it was for that joy he endured. And he, I, I try to imagine what it must have been like being part of the Godhead in the heavenly realms and then somehow, I mean, you have to get your head around this, somehow squeezing yourself into a body a female body as a child. I reckon as he descended at that point where the Holy Spirit came to Mary, he must have been disrobing all the way down. He must have been taking off his glory because otherwise he'd have blown her apart, frankly. If, you know, it just wouldn't have happened, would it? Maybe that's just my weird imagination, but, but stick with it, all right? But just it couldn't happen unless he took off all his, his glory, all his... Oh, I mean, just for me, it's fantastic just trying to get my head around it. And the purpose was for the joy set before him, you and I. 
And for me, the story at the, at the baptism here is that Jesus is being obedient even to taking a baptism that he didn't need to take. But at that point, because God is aware, God the Father is aware that Jesus is about to start his ministry, he comes out and he says, that's my boy. I'm who, in whom I am well pleased. And again, I can't get my head around what it was like to be the divine Jesus and the human Jesus. Do you ever wonder and think, how did, it, how did that happen? And the answer is, I don't know. If you want to know that, go and ask somebody else, because I don't know. What I do know is, it was part of the plan. And it seems as though each, each crucial part of the plan, God affirms Jesus in that plan. When he came, and now we're at the beginning of the ministry, and we see it again at the transfiguration, and ultimately we see it at the cross. And it's fantastic. And I suppose the, the, the thing that it did for me and threw up a question to ask myself is, okay, so Jesus got his identity from God the Father affirming him, etc. The question that this passage for me and the general topic of identity brings up is, where do I get my identity from? Where do you get your identity from? And then I began to look at it, and I suppose, having counseled many people over many years, I've interacted with folk who didn't quite know where their identity did come from. And it it caused me to reflect. And I suppose if I was summing up uh, my years uh, of working with people about things like identity, I would put this list up, and it would be part of what I've encountered. In the natural, we get our identity from things like our family. And that can be good or bad. I mean, Vicky gets all her good traits from her mum. Anything that's not right, that's my fault. But we get, don't we? We get our identity out of our family, who we are, how we're brought up, etc., and I haven't got time to go into huge detail, but just to you know, step out the fact that we, we knew that. We, sometimes we get our identity from possessions. We have this. And in, in, in my world of counselling, when people lose those possessions, that's when they cave in sometimes. And their identity and their, their status, their whatever, has been affected and impacted uh, by that lack of or loss of possessions. Same with jobs. We all get some identity out of our job. Some of that identity is good because we enjoy it and we're good at it, etc. Some of it is, isn't so good because it's just a job. It's boring, it's repetitive, it is what it is. Our education, whether we have it or not. I always remember years ago, I don't know whether I've said this before, but I was asked to speak at a, at a Bible convention. I was third on the list. And the first two guys were Joe Smith, PhD, MPhil, blah, 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 blah. The second guy was PhD, this, that, and the other thing. And then it was John Nightingale. They didn't, put, they didn't even put, I got five O levels. <laughs> I mean, that's unkind, wasn't it? So it was just John Nightingale, full stop. And I went into all sorts of traumas of, I must prepare, I must be as good as they are, I must have an intellectual argument that sticks with the PhD guys and da-da-da-da. I get up to speak and God says, put your notes down, leave them on the chair. Come and speak from the hip. 
come and fire from the hip. And the feedback was beautiful, but it just, it, I was concerned that my identity, because I hadn't got any initials after my name, I was going to be, I was going to look stupid. And thankfully, God was gracious enough to get me through that. And so achievement is one of those things that we, we, we like to think, oh, we've achieved this, we've done that, we've, yeah. Acknowledgement by others. When we get an encouragement from somebody else, that's helpful. That helps us with our identity. And sometimes, and I know I've fallen into this trap on several occasions over the years I've worked, is that our busyness is our identity. What I've, I've, I am learning and what I've learned to some measure over the years is that when I am incredibly busy, I don't always make good decisions. Because I'm doing it on the hoof, I'm running around like a headless chicken, and I'm not really considering what's what. And so I actually think that out of all those sometimes, business can be the one that the enemy uses most to destroy our identity. Yes, we're busy, we're running around, but actually, does that mean that we're not spending time with him? Does that mean that we're not considering well the decisions we face? I don't know. But these are some of the ways. And, and again, I'm, I'm trying to make my comments here. If, if you like, this is nothing to do with what God says to me. It's, it's only and exclusively about what, what God says to you in your circumstances today. All right. I don't want you to compare you with anybody else and certainly don't compare yourself with me because that wouldn't be healthy. But in the world, that's where we get our identity from. But spiritually, we get a new identity at salvation and salvation is our identity. And so let's remember, let's remember what we get in our new identity. The scripture says, all things have become new. How, that one of the people, one of the people in this setup I have the most trouble with is guess who? Me. Because I do not always appreciate that everything has been made new and I slip back into ways that were not healthy, not helpful. And God can tell me that this is, this is something or this is something I need to, to look at, but I forget that the potential for becoming new comes at salvation. And I need to draw strength from that. The second thing that happens at salvation is the angels are out again. The party angels are out. Because the scripture says, over one sinner that repents, what happens? Heaven rejoices. The party group are out. I tell you one thing, if you are in charge of partying in heaven, you have a good life, don't you? If you're the angel that's got the party job, every time somebody gets saved, yeah, here we go again. And this, this for me is, 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 if you like, God's rejoicing over you. God rejoices over me. Despite our foibles, despite our weakness, etc. Part of our identity is the fact that God accepts us. He approves of us. And Ephesians 1, he says, he adopts us. 
I haven't got time to go into the whole thing of adoption, but I'm sure Alan would, would deals with some things about adoption. The thing I notice about adoption is adoption is a choice. People choose to adopt. God chooses to adopt us. It's not us finding him. He adopts us into his family, as it, said is, it says in Ephesians. It's his choice. We're responding to his choice, not finding him for ourselves. And I think that's fantastic. God wants me in his family. The other thing I find, which I don't always accept, is Romans 8, where he loves me unconditionally. There is now therefore what? No condemnation. For who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. Make a very complicated word if it, if, the, if it stopped that there is now therefore no condemnation. But it clearly identified to those who are in God's family. And that's me. That's part of my identity is the fact that despite myself, the person I have the most trouble with, despite myself, I am loved unconditionally. And isn't that fantastic? At this point, I wish the party angel would turn up. Because we could stand up and go, yay! I'm saved. I'm free. And finally, we're made in the image of God. And actually, we're made in the image of God to what? To have a relationship with him because we're part of the family. And that little phrase at the bottom, I, I forget where I heard it, but at your worst point, you were worth dying for. At your worst point, you were worth dying for. It's not at your best point. God doesn't say, oh, well, you've done okay, tick. No, he sees you at your worst point and says, welcome to my family. Let me give you a new identity. Let me encourage you in the way forward. And so when we get saved, we are called to respond to that love and become disciples. We can do no more than to try and work out what a disciple is and follow that revelation that we get. I think I quoted this last time I spoke. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. And that's important that we get that ingrained within us. And we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Absolutely. That doesn't mean to say that we work for our salvation, but we work out our salvation because we're following God's plan for us. In the same way that Jesus followed the, the Godhead's plan for us for salvation. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And that's both corporate and, in, and individual. But he knew before we were saved what works he has lined up for us. Our job is to focus and to tune in. Our job is to accept the fact that God has a plan for me. And if nothing else this morning, I want us to try and reflect on Am I hearing God in what that plan is? Because that's vital for our, our future. We're called, Jesus calls us, and, and 
Paul reflects it in his writings, we are fellow workers. Fellow workers. We're invited, if you like, because of the identity he's given us, to be part of his team working things through. I know for me, it, it, that's been a huge learning curve. And I'm, and I'm not saying that we're all going to get this sorted today. What I'm saying is there's a next step in the journey that we want to move on. I know when I got saved, I had a prophetic word given to me. And when it happened, I didn't really know what prophetic words were. It was like, oh, really? Mm, okay. Seven weeks after I got saved, somebody said, I believe in the, in the longer term, you're going to be working full time for the Lord. Ooh, what does that mean? I thought, oh, blow, it's Bible college. I've got to go and study again. Oh. But it wasn't, thankfully, because studying's not my bag. It took seven years before that prophetic word was fulfilled. And on the 17th of February, 1983, I accepted a job, which I've been in since, and will complete in May later this year. It was an interesting day for us because I was awoken at three o'clock in the morning by a certain lady saying, I've just started contractions. Ooh. And so I went and got mother-in-law out of bed, got her in to look after Victoria, who was only two and a bit. And we went off to the hospital. We got there about quarter past five. And our son Peter was born at half past six, which was pretty tight as far as arrival. And, oh, hello, we're on the... Oh, hello, he's here. Um, and in those days in the hospital, you, you got thrown out by the matron because um, you were just in the way if you were a, a visitor because they, they didn't treat you as how they do now. You were a visitor. So I was thrown out by 7 o'clock. So we'd, Peter's been born at 6.30. I'm thrown out at 7. I'm in the bath at home at half past 7, thinking, oh, okay. 9.30, I have an interview. Go through the interview. Whew. Got to go and see Val at half past 5, because that's the next time I was allowed in. And thought, well, okay, the interview's gone on. 4.30, I get a phone call. Do you want the job? 5.30, I'm in the hospital, sat on the bed with, with Val, and Peter's in the plastic cubicle. Because in those days, you've got five days in hospital as the lady. Um, I'm saying, well, what do you think? We've got offer of this job. And Val was saying, so what's, what's the prospects? Don't know. What's it entail? Well, it's developing something. Obviously, we'd had on the go for a couple of years. We'd known about it. Uh, and basically, it was we came to the conclusion about, well, just after half past five, if we don't do it, we'll always regret not having given it a shot. And actually, that turned out to be part of God's plan for us. And here we are, just short of 40 years later, having seen God's plan and purpose worked out in some measure through the Manor House, through what we've been able to do. So becoming a disciple isn't something that you get instantaneously. But there are some things we can learn that are pretty important. I was reading through the Sermon on the Mount and things like, when you pray, ladies and gentlemen, that is not an option. It's not an option that we don't pray. It's a command. It's an, it's an assumption made by the one whose identity we have now taken that prayer will be part of our life. It also says, when you fast, and we all go, oh, good. I have to say, it's one of the things that I've, not been very good at over the last few years. Used to do it a lot more. Um, but it's one of those things I know for me, preparing this, it's challenged me on. And you can tell I need to. No. Um, 
And it talks about giving in Luke 6. Giving's not an option. It's not, oh, well, I've got a couple of, you know, a couple of quid spare, I'll, I'll stick it in the offering. And I'm sure there'll be some teaching later on in the year about giving. But giving is not an option. It's part of who we are. It's part of the identity that we've, in, we've taken. And, and to encourage Pete in his, in his um, notice this morning about, about baptism, if you haven't been baptised, it's not an option. Because Matthew 28, the Great Commission says, what's it say? It says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptising people in the name of Jesus. So the command was to the apostles to go and make disciples, and baptism was an integral part of it. So if we want to become a, a disciple, we get baptised. I'm not going to go any further. I'm sure that there'll be some comment on that later. But if you haven't been baptised, speak to Pete or anybody else. So becoming a disciple is an important part of what we do. I'm running a little bit tight on time. I've got some quotes. Just If you can stick them up, Rosie, and then we'll look at one or two of them. Um, in our identity, the Lord does not give us commissions that he will carry out if we don't. He has a plan for us to do before the foundation of the world, okay? So he has a plan for each of us. If we choose not to, he's not going to say, oh, well, you haven't done it, I'll do it. It is possible and probable that won't, be, won't get done in that way. It's possible that some things we've waited for, for him to do have been delayed because he's waiting for us. I've, we've spoken, you know, spoken to several people, oh, I'm waiting for God to do this. Uh, yeah, but doesn't it mean that you have to do something as well? I want to see the, 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 the sick healed. Have you prayed for the sick yet? No. Well, can I suggest that maybe starting to take opportunity to pray for the sick is not a bad starting point? Because God can bless what you do if you just stand there waiting, whatever. And that reinforces it. God will always keep his promises, but he's not obligated to keep our potential. You might think that's a bit harsh. But actually, when you think about it, it's true. If we're not stepping into our discipleship, taking on our identity and realising that that's who we are and that's who we should be, then some of these things won't, uh, won't be done. Oh, this is a good one. Sacrifices were designed to die. The Israelites would have understood this because every sacrifice was, was killed. If we are to follow him and follow in, in, in the footsteps of Jesus, Romans 12 says that we should be living sacrifices. So we're prepared, we need to be prepared to, to die to some of the things that we think are important when God is saying something, come on, let's do this together. Oh, that doesn't suit me. I'm sorry, that's not an excuse. It's just sacrifices are designed to die. That's another comment. I've been waiting for him to do something when he's been waiting for me. The, the other one, I, this is one I like, because I actually believe, and I've, this has been reaffirmed as I've studied this, if we get our identity right, the way we get our identity right is by submission. So we submit to where our identity is. And actually, my experience is that as we submit... We get authority because Jesus gives us it back. 
And this is what this is. If we submit, we don't get to do all that we want to do. We do get more than we're capable of doing. Because when, he, when we're stepping in the right way and he adds himself into, into the process that we're in, the results are beyond our wildest dreams. I look back at the 40 years of the manor house and think, I could never have imagined we'd have got to, from there to here. But we have, because God is faithful and God has, has picked up on the faithfulness of the, of the vision. The last two are challenges. As soon as you can be free from being perfect. Sometimes people get crippled because they cannot do things because they've got to do it absolutely correctly. If you're waiting for that, then your life is going to stall fairly quickly. God can cope with our mistakes. As long as we're looking to follow him, when we trip over, we fall forward towards him. And we need to enjoy God before we serve him. Sometimes we, we, we get the, the, the puritanical view of, uh, of God. Well, I must do this and I must do that. No, let's enjoy God first. Then we're more open to hearing what God has to say. And I suppose the challenge of putting those um, statements up there is really just to check your perception of God. So where does God fit in? And I finish with a couple of questions. We've already heard in Matthew 28 that Jesus was given, given authority and, it, and Jesus says to the disciples, I will pass that authority on to you. But the example is of Jesus. Jesus was a servant. Jesus was compassionate. Jesus was caring. Jesus was giving. So my question is, have you had any hopes and dreams, ambitions in God that haven't yet been fulfilled? I have. There are a number of things I'm still looking to see unfolded in and through my life. And the question I have this morning is, are you battling with something? Finding it hard to let go of it? Finding it hard to submit? Because I believe that the dreams that you have possibly are being impacted by the fact you're hanging on to something that isn't altogether helpful, altogether healthy. Or maybe it's even simpler than that. Maybe you're just unsure of who you are in God. I believe God this morning wants to re-establish your identity in him. Just, I was going to move on, but I just felt the Lord put a check on me there. And I just want to ask one quick question. You may have been listening to this and actually you don't know Jesus. And you haven't got that identity. I wonder if there's somebody this morning who wants to just give their life to Jesus for the first time. I wonder if we can just bow our heads for a moment.